You are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots. Welcome to Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you in the first week of August. And friends, let me tell you, there's not much... For us to chat about. Obviously, Celtics legend Bill Russell passed away in the past week. Uh, I think there's some pods on The Athletic that have done an amazing job, including Jay and Jared Weiss talking about his legacy. Uh, and I'm not sure there's much more the two of us can add to this conversation other than saying uh, he was the GOAT. And um, Jay, I don't know if you have any uh, great wisdom to add that you haven't already put out there on the Internet. One of the cool things um, that have come from the last few days, obviously, there's not much good that comes from death. But just looking at, I've been fascinated by the way he talked about defense. And he just, it was psychology to him. It was outthinking the other guy. And obviously, that's, you know, a major reason why he was able to block so many shots, why he was able to start the break. Um, and so I, I've just been, I mean, obviously, you know, Bill Russell was an incredible defender. You know, he stood up for civil rights when it was very, very difficult to do so. Um, and he never backed down. But on top of that, like watching the videos of him explaining how he blocked shots and reading quotes about how I think he, he said that he can only block 5% of shots, which is a huge number, by the way. Um, but what made him great at defense was that the offensive players didn't know which 5% they were going to be. And I thought that was a really good way of putting it. You know, <laughs> like, like if you were only going to block 5% of shots and the other team knew the 5%, they'd be cool with it. It'd be like, all right, we can still get, we can still get 19 out of 20 shots up there. But that was good math, by the way. But but if they don't know and you keep them guessing, then they'll you'll alter shots, you'll force them to pass up shots. So he was just a master. And and obviously I knew that before, but just kind of seeing all the videos, um, watching the way that he just described defending, it's clear that he was just on a totally, totally different wavelength than basically anybody else. The, the biggest thing, like my biggest takeaway, it's along those same lines, is he would, like, if he blocked the ball out of bounds, that was a failure. Like, the fact that he would just block the, like, send his blocks to his teammates and start the fast break, like, that just shows you how much he was thinking about the game and how much, like, we just don't see that these days. Like, we see Time Lord do a crazy block and sends it into the front row. And it's awesome because that's what Time Lord does. But like his thinking the game so much that he's like so much strategy is like turning a block into a pass into an outlet pass uh, is just wild. And I'm never really 
heard of any other player in the NBA kind of treat defense like that. So he's, he's a legend in, in everything that he's been, he's done um, probably more so off the court than on the court, but like that attention to defense uh, is, was absolutely wild and just, uh, you know, much respect and rest in peace to Bill Russell because that that's just insane. It's true. Sad, uh, sad, sad day, man. Sad, sad week. Vince Scully, too. Like, Jesus. Those are two absolute titans. Like, just two giants. And just a sad, sad week for sports. And it's... To add to the sadness, there's there's no Celtics news to talk about other than the Celtics signing Bruno Caboclo? <laughs> and Noah Vonley. One guy who is eight years away from being two years away from being two years away. And <laughs> another guy, uh, local native Haverhill native Noah Vonley, lottery pick who has really not amounted to much in the NBA. I think spent some time with the Shanghai Sharks over in China. Jay, what, what do we make of these two signings other than the fact that Brad uh, hates young guys and will only sign you if you're over the age of 25? Well, they're young. Youngish. You know, they're, they're, they're former first round picks. So obviously there's some talent there and they've been through a lot. So you hope that they've evolved and learned from everything that they've been through from their trips to China in Bonley's case or Brazil in Caboclo's case. And you're just kind of taking a flyer on two talented dudes who were first round draft picks for all the tools that they have, but just Kind of never totally panned out at the NBA level. Vonley had one year that was pretty good. Um, but other than that, just wasn't a difference maker during his first stint in the NBA. And then the other, the other takeaway I think is Brad seems to be setting up a training camp competition. Um, all indications are that they intend to bring a bunch of players in, including Vonley and Caboclo, um, and probably Justin Jackson and Broderick Thomas to compete for the final three roster spots. So it, I feel like it's pretty rare that a team does that with so many roster spots. I can't remember the Celtics having so much of a competition. Um, like certainly they, they've had a one or maybe two uh, in some years, but three is a lot. Um, and so I, I think that they they wanted to solidify the center position F behind Luke Cornett and give them options in case Luke Cornett doesn't really pan out because they think Luke Cornett can handle backup center minutes, but he's never, with the exception of that same Knicks team that Vonley was pretty good on, he's never really played consistent minutes in the NBA. So I think it's pretty clear that they they wanted to give themselves multiple swings at that center position. Uh, behind Cornette. And Cornette has, is the, is the leader in the clubhouse right now. Right now, my, I'm on team Cornette. I think he's shown the most and I think he's capable and that actually has pretty decent hands and has shown some flashes out there. Um, but I don't know. I just call, maybe I'm not as good a professional sports fan as, as I claim to be, but I haven't seen a lot of tape on Noah Vonley or Bruno over the past couple of years. So I just don't know where their games are at, but it does feel like to me, just Cornette's a little bit more familiarity and the fact that he's a giant individual 
gives him the the leg up heading into training camp. Yeah, it, from the way the Celtics have discussed Cornette, it seems to be that he'll start the year as the primary backup center in the Daniel Tice role. And I think that's okay. <laughs> if it doesn't go well, the Celtics can use Gallinari and Grant Williams together at the four and five. They can go out before the trade deadline and, and get a, a better backup. Uh, but it sounds like Cornette is likely to get a chance. The Vonley thing, I, I remember watching Vonley when he was in high school and thinking like, holy shit, that dude is going to be unbelievable. Uh, he was like a six, eight house who could dribble. He could shoot a little bit. I was like, man, this, this dude's got a chance to be really tough, like sort of in the Julius Randle mold. Uh, obviously, that hasn't really panned out, but but he does have some impressive physical tools, and so does Caboclo, which make them both pretty intriguing flyers, although neither has been like uh, – neither obviously has like a, a great resume in terms of production and everything else in, in their career. I think if if it comes down to it, if we're really talking about either Bruno or Vonley, uh, or even Cornette, really, <laughs> things are bad. If, if like things have gone very poorly for the Celtics, they had a top seven or eight rotation. They added two seemingly rotation guys to their roster, and um, let me tell you, the Cornette, Vonley, and Bruno are decidedly in the in the latter third of the roster, roster spots 11 through Don't 15. Don't forget the undue Cabangeli. Cabangeli, that's it's a serious competition for this backup center position, and um, it's going to be, like, for a team that I feel like doesn't have a lot of questions, maybe it's a good thing that a lot of focus is going to that third string uh, center role, but uh, who knows at this point? It's We're, we're certainly in... August uh, Celtics talk when um, I just feel like there's not a lot of other questions to be answered, but you know what? That's when we turn to you guys, the listener gods out there uh, to hit us with your, hit us with your Celtics questions. If you're in the athletic live room, press that raise hand button and we'll make sure to, to get to you. Uh, And if there's, we run out of questions there, we, we got some on Twitter and then we'll finish up. We haven't done, a potable six pack in a long time, but if, why not do a little potable six pack for the six best moments of last year? And so we'll get to some questions and then finish out with potable six pack. There's one man we have not heard from in a long time, a long time. The legend celebrity caller, Joshua B. Come on down, Joshua. How are you doing? How am I doing? I'm doing incredible. As a matter of fact, I'm so good that, that the Celtics have the lowest odds, the best odds in Vegas. If I were to go and bet on who's going to win the national, who's going to win the championship for next year, the Celtics have the best odds in odds in all of the land. And my question to you is, what happens when we go small? I say small, right? But it's all like it's all relative. Right, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Danilo Gallinari at the five with Malcolm Brogdon and Marcus Smart as your um, one and your two. That's like those are like that's a small ball lineup of people who are all around six five. Right, 
Like we, we, we talk about Noah Vonley and we talk about we talk about Noah Vonley and we talk about um, Bruno Caboclo and like what are we asking them precisely to do? Play five minutes a game, ten minutes a game? What are we asking? We're we're asking for Probably them to sit be there on the insurance. other bench and look pretty. Right, right. That's our big worry right now. That's our big worry right now. The Warriors are worried about um, about how they're going to replace Gary. Or, <laughs> are going to worry about uh, Gary Payton? How they're going to replace Gary Payton the second with Dante DiVincenzo? And we're worried about whether or not Luke Fournette is going to be good as a, a third center role. Optimism abounds, man. Optimism abounds. This is our year. And last year we were we were two games away from being NBA champions. No. Uh, it's, what do you? It's all fair points, Joshua B. I do think. I don't think necessarily Gallo, Danilo Gallinari at the five is the Celtics' best uh, small ball option. Like, I just don't want to see what that looks like defensively. But I do think either Robert Williams or Al Horford and playing single bigs with all the uh, kind of wings or guards around him like is, is going to be a great lineup for the Celtics. I expect them to go away from um, using the double big lineup. I know how good it was last year, but they just – given the kind of issues they had at center, maybe not using your two centers at the same time uh, is going to be the best option. But Jay, I, I don't know. Are you, do you share in our friend Joshua B's uh, unbridled optimism? I've, well, in regards to the small lineup, I, I think if you're going to play Gallinari at the five, you've got to put more size at the four. Like, I think Gallinari and Grant Williams off the bench could be your four and five. Like there were times when Grant Williams and Jabari Parker were doing that and it was okay. And that was Jabari Parker. Like Gallinari is not Jabari Parker in a lot of good ways. So I, I just know that the Celtics have more options to go small. They definitely have more options to put shooting on the floor. Like I, I keep going back to the net series when they really wanted to space Brooklyn out. They went to Pritchard. They went to Brown, Tatum, Grant Williams, and Al Horford. And those are like your, that was like their only all shooting lineup. Now you can put Brogdon in there. You can put Gallinari in there. You can switch it around a little bit and still have five out, five shooters on the court. And so from Ime Odoka's perspective, he just has more options to play without. I don't know what Gallinari will, will provide at his age. I don't know if defensively he'll be good enough to to earn a lot of minutes but from a shooting perspective from a lineup perspective there's definitely just a lot more offensive juice there than there was last season all right we go now to tim s timmy welcome to anything is potable timmy Timmy was not ready for his moment. No, not ready for the prime time. You know, I can hear the birds chirping in the background, Timmy, but he's not ready to talk. All right, Josh P. Second Josh on the program. Josh P., how are you doing? Oh, we got we got some shy, shy callers today. They, they, they pressed the raise hand function, but they did not. They're not ready for prime time. Feel free to hop back on the lines if you if you uh, want a second shot. I mean, I'm feeling forgiving right now, but 
We'll try John S. John S. Nope, he's gone too. What's going on with these people? Stephanos, are you there? Hi there, Jay. Hi, Sam. Big fans. I really appreciate all the all the work you guys have been doing. Um, Thanks, man. I have a question uh, really more along the lines of, let's say, because, you know, I think we've talked about it a lot that, let's say, the signings and our offseason has been really good. You know, up until this, you know, this debacle we're having now about Noah Vonley or Caboclo. But my question <laughs> uh, really has more to do with what I think will ultimately, you know, kind of decide things. And that'll be the team dynamic and the chemistry going on. And more specifically uh, with uh, Jalen Brown. You know, I've been saying this now for five, six years already from before. I felt that he's always been someone who's very underappreciated. Uh, you know, of course the fans love him, but if I even look, you know, there's been so many games that I've watched where I felt that Jalen Brown had, you know, a superior game to Jason Tatum. And I would go on to the Celtics Instagram page and see Jason Tatum player of the game. So, you know, I do feel there is something that has been, you know, I don't know really how to formulate this, you know, but it seems that, you know, with the Celtics pushing Jason Tatum as their number one, uh, and Jalen Brown, as we've seen, even over this summer with his tweets, you know, feeling a bit disrespected, uh, and especially now with, uh, you know, these Kevin Durant trade talks and everything. How, you know, uh, can we expect, you know, basically how much can Jalen Brown take, you know, before he becomes a disgruntled star? That's that's more or less my question, if you have uh, some insight into that. Yeah, so all of that is just noise, right? Everything that you're worried about is just noise. I do think it's possible that Jalen is frustrated that his name was even in rumors after going to the finals, after being the Celtics' best player in the finals, after everything. Like, to be in rumors is probably like, what the fuck? I, I couldn't avoid rumors this season of all seasons. Uh, that said, it's for Kevin Durant. And it's Kevin Durant. So you can't really be mad about that. If if your team is considering trading you for Kevin Durant, rationally, you've got to know, okay, it's Kevin Durant. Um, as far as Jalen being the, the number one, the number two, feeling overshadowed that Jason Tatum gets gets more love, I think that's been tough for them both to handle because a lot of the time when they play well, when they don't, it's like people, even Celtics fans, even Celtics writer are like pitting them against each other, right? Like even in your question, you were discussing the hierarchy and what helped change the Celtics last season, I firmly believe, is that those, those guys both decided all of that shit doesn't matter. There's no such thing as a hierarchy on the actual team. Like, I do think, like, they just decided we're going to go out and we're going to play the way that our coaches want us to play. And we're going to make the right decisions. And it doesn't matter whether Kendrick Perkins thinks you're a Batman or a Robin. And so I think there's been a lot of progress made <laughs> on that front. And I think that that's a tough thing for a young guy to realize or for a young guy to put aside all of that stuff. Um, but I, I I think Tatum and Brown were on the same page at the end of last season. 
And I don't think they were ever like not really on the same page, but I just feel like those two guys worked together on the basketball court in a way that they didn't always before. Um, and if they can just tap back into that and if they can continue to ignore the noise, then they'll be totally fine. Um, but there is noise and, and that's something that they'll have to, to deal with from a locker room perspective. Uh, I mean, they have a lot of mouths to feed. Malcolm Brogdon coming off the bench and Marcus Smart starting. I think there could be a, a weird dynamic there just because Marcus Smart, he was proud of what he did, and rightfully so as a starting point guard. He won Defensive Player of the Year. He brought his team to the finals. Malcolm Brogdon, another guy, he, he averaged 19-5-5 five and five last year. Coming off the bench could be tough for him. Um, so there's definitely some some dynamics that weren't there last season. But they know if they buy in what can be possible for them. And Ime Udoka, he got them to buy in last year. If they do it again, everything will be fine. Yeah, the only other thing that I think you concerns you as a Celtics fan is less the Jalen-Jason kind of dynamic, because I feel like they've kind of figured that out. Um, and I think there's definitely something to think about with, like, how, is, how does Brogdon fit in? But there's also just like expectations and how they deal with expectations. Joshua B mentioned they are like the the Vegas favorite to win the title next year, which I don't necessarily uh, think that they are the team. That but um, you know what? I'm not I'm not a sharp in Vegas. But what happens when everyone is expecting them to be great and they're not immediately great? It felt like they did a great job, um, kind of battling back last year when um after getting down and and kind of everyone counted them out there like they were in 11th place they, people counted them out with good reason and they would kind of were able to battle from behind and place this like really dominant version of basketball i do think it's much harder when you are expected to be one of the best teams in the league so i'm going to be interested to see how the celtics kind of react to that and deal with that it, it's the chemistry that they they should be able to rely on a lot of what they did last year and I would expect Brogdon to come in and he said all the right things and accept his role, but it is things they kind of have to navigate um, uh, just in order to be a successful basketball team. Cause a lot of times it's not necessarily just about the basketball talent. It's about how all these personalities come together and if they can give up um, like be a little selfless and kind of sacrifice for the team, which is something I think they did a great job of doing last year. It's, uh, that's a, a huge contributor to their success moving forward. So how yeah, they deal with to, expectations is, is how, like what I'm looking for. See, I, I feel like those guys, especially Tatum and Brown have been held to such a high standard for a long time. The only year they didn't have big expectations was probably after Kyrie left and Horford left and Kemba showed up. And then they went to Eastern Conference final, even last year coming off a 500 season. I feel like those guys were just held to a very high standard so that when they were struggling last year, like there was tons of criticism because they weren't living up to what they could have been. And so, yeah, the weight of expectations will be different, but I also feel like those guys have just been through that a lot and, and they should be able to know how to handle it. Now it's not their first time navigating coming back from a long promising playoff run and being expected to take another step forward. Like they, they've been there, they've done that. They've 
and they like they've struggled with it sometimes, <laughs> as we've seen. But I, I think they've probably learned a lot from those years uh, with how to handle those expectations. So I, I do think there's, you know, if if you're looking for an optimistic side, like those guys should be hardened by everything that they've dealt with, all the it, the intense scrutiny that they heard last season, that they heard the year before. Um, like it, it's probably not going to get much worse than it was when they were sitting in 11th place in January. Then like that's, that was a lot of scrutiny, a lot of criticism. People were calling for those guys to get broken up, even Tatum and Brown. So I don't foresee that much backlash unless they just fall back into those old habits and really, really struggle. I just want to do a PSA out there to all the Celtics fans who are going to come into the season with championship expectations. Calm down. Take a deep breath. It's going to be late November or early December, and they're going to lose a game to the Orlando Magic. And you know what? It's not going to be the end of the world. That's I think Celtics fans need to have some faith in this team and not freak out about every regular season loss. Cause as we can see, they have the ability to bounce back and you know what stuff happens in the NBA. And sometimes you'll, you know, you'll lose a random buzzer beater game. Sometimes RJ Barrett banks in a three nonsense happens during the regular season. Celtics fans need to just chill out. All right. Josh P attempts to, are you ready for the moment? For the moment. Guys, greetings from Columbus. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yes, yes sir. sir. Fantabulous. Hey, hallmark of a great team is to have a bench that doesn't lose a lead. I don't feel like we've ever really had that with Jalen and Jason's time. Um, speculate for a minute, if you could, about what our bench mob might look like and is Peyton Pritchard still on the team? Yeah, I, so I think Peyton Pritchard will, will absolutely be on the team. Whether he's in the rotation is another question. Uh his situation is one of the most interesting to me because he was very good as a rookie compared to most rookies. They signed Dennis Schroeder. He again proved his worth last season and they acquired Malcolm Brogdon. They just keep acquiring guys ahead of him in the rotation to push him out of the rotation. And I don't think he really deserves that. But, and if I were them, I would really want to see if he has another step as a playmaker beyond just the shooting piece. I think as a shooter, he really compliments those guys well. But uh, that's probably not really what you wanted me to answer in the question. More so, what will the actual rotation look like? Uh, I mean, they're going to be good. The bench was good in the regular season last year. The bench was good for much of the playoffs last year. Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon, Grant Williams, and Luke Cornett. Obviously, the center could be a bit of an issue. Danilo Gallinari will play sometimes there, I think. But they just have more firepower, more options, and they're going to need it because it sounds like they're going to try to have more load management for their starters and best players than they did last season. That seems to be... Not not a priority for them, but definitely something that they're thinking of while building out a deep roster. So I, I just think the 
the defense on their second unit is what is going to separate them. Like with Brogdon in for Pritchard, they they can play only good defenders and big, strong, good defenders everywhere. There are not a lot of teams that have that luxury. There may not be any teams that have that luxury. So the bench could be a, a big difference maker for them, especially during the regular season. As they try to navigate the regular season, Like, I think that's going to be a huge, huge plus for them. Yeah, it's not like there's a lot of moments in the regular season where it's like they go full five players from the bench. But having being able to bring in White, Brogdon, and Grant Williams off the bench and, you know, at any moment and just have those guys just plug in defensively, there really should not be any weak moments for the Celtics team where they're just absolutely outmatched. And I can't say that that necessarily happened when they brought in bench units last year. It felt like uh, the team struggled uh, when Jason Tatum was not on the court, but I do think they're just going to, they're so much deeper this the year. The second half of the regular season, their, their bench was awesome though. I mean, I mean the, they're also the Dennis like, Schroeder coming half, in. The bench was- well, yeah, because they had Dennis Schroeder in it, but like they also, the second half of the season, their bench was coming in and they're already up 20. Like you can play a bit of freer brand of basketball uh, when you're playing with a giant lead than, you know, coming into tight games. That's fair. I just think they're they're much deeper, and it, it should like it's going to be interesting to see if they are able to get out like get out to big leads so they can do some of that load management. Because I still think Ime likes winning basketball games, and uh, I think he's we saw him go with a very very short rotation last year. How willing uh, is he to do that? You know, if if the team gets out to a, like a, a 500 start in the first. Uh, 20 games. Gonna that be- stands out to me as a possible organizational clash. I, I don't mean to, that probably sounds more dramatic than I mean it, but it's clear that Brad Stevens wants to limit his best player's minutes. And if Emi Odoka continues to just play eight guys and continues to load up minutes for those guys, like I could see a little frustration growing on Brad Stevens' side. That said, we've never seen Emi Odoka except when they were in 11th place and fighting for not just playoff positioning, but a spot in the playoffs for a long time. So so in his second year, like the situation should be totally different. I don't think they should be fighting for a playoff spot. I think they should be pretty comfortably in the mix for home court advantage. And if they are, I'm interested in seeing whether Udoka does play more players off the bench, does limit Tatum and Brown's minutes further because uh, it's it's very clear that fatigue caught up to the Celtics deep in the playoffs. Oh, most definitely. Um, I'm making the executive decision now because I know Jay has to run uh, to a men's league basketball Let's keep game. going for we're, a little while, baby. There's no We're going to finish out the callers, but I'm pushing the potable six-pack to next week. And so uh, we'll get to everyone whose uh, hands are up, who's, uh, who haven't asked a question already, um, and then we'll finish out the pod. Right now we're going to Robert L. Robert, welcome to Anything is Potable. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes, yes sir. Cool. Uh, I just want to talk about the third big there for a second. I mean, everyone wants to talk about Vonley or Cornette or maybe even Kavigeli. But realistically, you know, with those TPs, Adding a little flexibility, if 
you know, if you run into some injury issues and you actually have to play someone in the regular season, would you agree that they probably wouldn't let Cornette or Vonley, you know, play big minutes in, you know, important games next year? They would likely, you know, find someone to trade for. Yeah, I think it's very possible that the Celtics at some point in the coming season go out and acquire a big man who's better than Luke Cornett because that position is important to them. Daniel Tice started five games in the playoffs. He played, I think it was 18 minutes a game after the Celtics acquired him. He wasn't an important player every night, but there were many nights when he was an important player. So they still have two reasonably sized trade exceptions. They won't be able to fit everyone into that. Aren't they only like $6 million though? 6.8, I believe. Uh, and 5.8, I think off the top of my head. So are uh, you really getting like a, a quality player who's that much better than, I mean, I think you could hypothetically get someone who's better than Luke Cornett at this point, but I do think like, Something has gone wrong, like either Al Horford, his legs have fallen off or like Time Lord's injured again. If they're like, I feel like in the mode of trading for another setter, because I feel like they're going to give a lot of these guys some chances to you know, prove themselves as the third center. But like that, that it really, it, things have gone terribly wrong. If, if that becomes like an issue where you're needing to trade for someone for your third center, that means like, all of a sudden, Luke Cornett is now starting your starting center, and you're just like need a, an upgrade option. I just it's I not a good. That, I don't think that's necessarily the case, though. But how many but. games is really going to come down to be like, oh man, we we lost those eight minutes. Luke Cornett was in the game, and that cost us everything. Like, I just I am I, not at all talking about the regular season. Like regular season, though, they should be totally fine. It doesn't matter if they play Gallinari and Grant Williams at the four and five and don't even play a real center. Um, but if you are forecasting to the playoffs and you have Robert Williams, who's injury prone and Al Horford, who will turn 37 at some point during the playoffs next season, then you might want a better insurance policy than Luke Cornell. And, and that's all I'm saying. And so I think, it's not necessarily going to be a move that they pull off before the season. I don't think they like a lot of the veteran guys that would be available for the minimum right now. Uh, I think they want to see Cornette. They want to see what happens in training camp with Vonley and Caboclo. And they want to see Calvin Kelly, who's another former first round pick and does have some potential. Uh, and then the other part beyond the trade exception, like you could trade Danilo Gallinari and like a few minimum contracts for somebody who makes more than $6.8 million. Uh, or you could throw in Peyton Pritchard because he's not getting any playing time and you want to do him a solid. Yeah. So, so something like that could be used to, to get another big two. I, I don't think they should feel entirely comfortable running Luke Cornett into a playoff game. Oh man, you don't believe in the cornet, baby. He's gonna prove you wrong. We've just never year. seen it. We've just yeah. never seen it. Whose fault is that? Probably Luke Cornett's, but uh, I think he's gonna prove 
prove everyone wrong and be more than capable. I have a lot of belief in Luke Cornett uh, heading into the season. I think he's going to be a serviceable backup center, an average, I would say, eight minutes a game. That, that, How's that for a bold prediction? I mean, that's not really bold. <laughs> it's August. It's I think he'll average more than eight minutes per game. Because uh, in the games you, that he does play, they'll need him to play more minutes. That's fair. If you include the games, he doesn't. I should. I took statistics. This is my job. Once I should know things about averages, uh, but I don't. His median minutes per game will be six point eight. How about that? <laughs> We're talking about mediums now. Next question. All right, let's go to John S. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. All right, so I have two questions, if you don't mind. The first one Love it. has the first one has to do with what the hell happened to Matt Ryan. This man showed up, hit one of the most clutch shots I've ever seen in summer league, and then just dipped off the face of the earth. I thought he would have added some decent wing depth anyways. And the second question, if you don't have time, don't worry about it. But in the sake of celebrating Bill Russell's great legacy, if you guys had to build a starting five around him that didn't include any of his past teammates, what would it be? So we have we could choose any other Celtics player ever. I I, I hung up on him, but he just said anyone. So I, I think it's I think it's more interesting if we do just Celtics because then it's like. In that case, I would put uh, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Like that's that's not as interesting. So let's do it. Celtics players after um, after uh, Bill Russell into uh, Matt Ryan. Yeah. So let's start with the Russell thing. Uh, Russell, Larry Bird, Jason Tatum, KG, Kevin Garnett. And Dennis Schroeder. Who's the point guard? Who's the best point guard in Celtics history? Uh, the little guy, Isaiah Thomas. Who's the got, best point guard for that team, though? They got a lot of defense. I feel like they're he wants huge to shoot. too. I feel like I feel like we we could kind Marcus of go Smart. With, just put Marcus Smart in there, and you boom. I think it works out perfectly. Dennis Johnson. Yeah, Dennis Johnson was a bit of an ego guy. I wanted, I want a team first person. He played on the greatest team basketball team of maybe of all time. He also flamed out of Seattle because he was worried about his contract and making too many shots. I don't know. We what, don't have to we, worry about contracts in a fantasy land. Uh, I'm worried about Seattle 1979 version of Dennis Johnson flaring up again. Give me Marcus Smart. I love him and I trust him. Or do we just throw Paul Pierce out there and have? Either Pierce or Tatum play one. I think that's a move. Uh, I I think it's a fair move, but you know I'm just I guess a, I'm a basketball traditionalist and I would like a pure point guard like Marcus Smart out there running the show. Nope, it, it's Paul Pierce. Sorry. All right. I mean I think that's fair. Now or John Havlicek. He played some point guard. Let's go Havlicek. Didn't they play together? Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, that wipes oh. out a lot of guys. Russell played for a while. <laughs> that wipes uh, out a lot, a lot of people. But I think that's a pretty, uh, pretty solid team, uh, to put around Bill Russell. I don't know if you needed much because Bill Russell was just the the best player on the court. I think I was listening to Bill Simmons podcast where 
Russell said he was going to retire when he no like felt like he was no longer the best player in the league, which is just such a badass thing to say. It's just like I no longer think I'm number one, and so I refuse to play this game anymore. <laughs> just just uh, fantastic. I stuff. respect it. It's like the father who stops playing his kid as soon as the kid beats him in, in ball. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the the Matt Ryan thing, I think it. It doesn't sound like he's likely to come to training camp with the Celtics. I think it's more of a uh, contract thing. The the Celtics have already signed guys with two ways. So that's not really an option unless they convert J.D. Davis into a real contract. Um, and because they were setting up this training camp competition, they were in the business of finding players who were cool with having little to no guaranteed money in their contracts and just having sort of training camp deals. So I think that's more, more so what happened or what's happening with him. Uh, I did not hear that he's totally excluded from coming to the Celtics training camp. Like <laughs> he's barred from the facility. No, yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I did not hear like there's no chance whatsoever that he'll end up at Celtics training camp, but. I get the sense that uh, because of the contract stuff, it doesn't matter that they think he's one hell of a shooter and he could just end up somewhere else. And it's interesting. One person we missed for a possible point guard uh, in the Bill Russell thing is uh, Rajon Rondo. Interesting, uh, interesting option there. Um, but that is going to do it for us here at Anything is Potable. If you like the show, please rate us five stars, subscribe. Tell a friend, do all those things that podcast hosts generally tell you to do. Now, Jay, I recently took a trip up to Salem, Massachusetts and had one of the grossest, grossest sandwiches I've ever had in my life. A chopped suey sandwich. You didn't even eat the whole fucking thing. It fell out. I wasn't going in after it. But you said you defeated the sandwich. The sandwich defeated you. I just said sandwich defeated. I didn't say if I defeated the sandwich or I myself was defeated in a sandwich-like manner. I just say I left it up to interpretation. Jay. It was, and as it a was writer, misleading, intentionally misleading. As a writer, you should, uh, you know, understand that. Also, the place is not closed till August 14th. I defy you to go and tr- eat that entire sandwich. It was the grossest thing I've had in my entire life. I will not be doing that. Yeah, because you're a coward. Uh, just like Ben Simmons, you are full of cowardice. Uh, but my question to you is a chopped suey sandwich potable? I really don't think it is. And I